So my name is Josh Williams. I'm the lead pastor here at the Elm City Vineyard, and I'm grateful to be here with you. Thanks again for coming uh, on, remember we said earlier, you know, come to the corner of College and Elm. We'll either be inside or outside. When it's good outside, we'll be outside. When it's like this outside, we'll be inside. But more than uh, you kind of uh, following Instagram or an email or just seeing like people in here, I believe you've been invited. I believe you're here upon invitation. And you might be saying, well, of course, like my friend right here invited me. No, I'm not talking just about that. Because we have regular invitations in our lives. Perhaps you've come here that are, that are a little bit more obvious. You know, perhaps you've come here in New Haven for a job. Maybe you're one of the new like thousands of students. If you were out on the weekend, you saw the thousands of students that were out uh, here in New Haven in one of the colleges. Or maybe the invitation was more personal, like someone, uh, you're coming for someone. You're, you're saying, I wanna take this invitation and come here. These invitations are powerful and they sometimes bring people thousands of miles to be here. Sometimes when you're just from here, from New Haven, you think that's invitation enough to stay, to remain. But I believe something different today, that you're actually here at God's invitation. You're here at the invitation of the Lord. That's a crazy thing to assume, to believe, to live into. Why would the God of the universe, like that God, why would that God show up at our little old Sunday gathering here? This time in the building too. Like at least when we're outside, it's like nature, God can see the trees that God created. It's like, okay, this is cool. The party bike that I guess God allows like every week in New Haven. But like God's like big old God in this little, little church. You know, it could seem arrogant even that we expect God to show up at our gathering, to come to our service time, which, you know, would God come at four? Does God come at four or five? I'm not sure. You know, has God a little bit late to his own gathering? Uh, that's what we're doing here. We're daring to believe God will show up in this space, even in these strange times. I don't know what that's like. I mean, I have questions of what, you know, what God would do. Does God go like home right away to make dinner? Does God linger a little bit with us? Does God put away chairs? I don't know. This big old eternal God fitting into the way we do things in our long lasting 14 year old experience as Elm City Vineyard. That does seem a bit off, doesn't it? Unless we're here at God's invitation and God lets us be creative with when and where we meet with what we do when it rains outside. Maybe God laughs when he hears that one hour and 30 minutes is long or short to us. What if God uh, chuckles when people kind of say, this is my Sunday best, talking about their clothing? What if God longs to be involved in what otherwise could just be a religious performance? What if God's so thankful when we show up real, whether we're singing gospel, or whether we're quiet, whether we're doing a prayer call or preaching, God wants our worship and God wants us to experience him. God invites us to worship, to bow down, to connect to God closely, even intimately. That's who God is. But often we don't see God that way. 
1977, a group of California Quakers who had become the catalyst for the vineyard, our movement of churches, were dry. They were washed out. They were burnt out. And they were specifically tired of religious performance, not changing them, not enlivening them, doing things, many things for many hours, and everything staying the same. And they realized that even though what they went to every week was called a worship gathering, just like ours is called, they didn't know what worship even was. They kind of had to admit that as leaders. Like, we don't know what worship even means. They wanted more of God, but they didn't know how to get that until they kind of accidentally found something or someone. They just kept singing. They were weary of performative religion, and perhaps God was too. And if you're honest, maybe you are too today, whether this is your first time at ECV or it's been a while being here. But God had an invitation to something else, an invitation to intimacy. Here's a quote from one of those founders that was in that small little living room in the 70s. After we started to meet in our home gathering, I noticed times during the meeting, usually when we sang, in which I experienced God deeply. We sang many songs, but mostly songs about worship or testimonies from one Christian to another. But occasionally, we sang a song personally and intimately to Jesus, with lyrics like, Jesus, I love you. These types of songs both stirred and fed the hunger of God within me. About this time, I began asking our music leader why some songs seemed to spark something in us, and others, they didn't. As we talked about worship, we realized that often we would sing about worship, yet we never actually worshiped, except when we accidentally stumbled onto intimate songs like, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Thus, we began to see a difference between songs about Jesus and songs to Jesus. Singing about Jesus versus singing to Jesus. Whether we're talking about music or not, this can sum up our whole life with God. Do we talk about God or do we talk to God? If I'm talking Let's say in a different scenario, right? If I'm talking about my marriage to, with Tina all the time to everyone, hey, this time with Tina, 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 but I'm never talking to her, something's wrong. Y'all should call me out. That's not okay. And yet, isn't that a lot of Christianity? We talk about God, but real relationship with God is far from us. What about you? If you were to look at your conversations even this past week, did you talk about God a lot? Or did you talk to God? Maybe this whole God thing is new for you, but even then, are you curious about who he could be to you? Or are you more just thinking about this concept and not daring to even pray as an experiment? God has this invitation for us to be in conversation to be in communion. 
It turns out this value of experiencing God is a foundation of following God with our whole lives. We turn our life and attention to God, and God gives us true, eternal, long-lasting life and focused attention to God and to what God cares about and values. God has an invitation to intimacy, remember? Not just performative religion. When we live this way, our very lives become signposts to others along the way to help them know God. When we join together, this becomes our church. When we join together even more, it becomes the church, present and throughout time, lit up lives that dare to believe God invited us to worship him and to testify to the presence of God in a world that does not know who God is or God's goodness, God's love for us. This Sunday, we're starting a new series. It's one that's based on this kind of thing of, it's an invitation to more. And it's called this, Living Letters, Biblical Roots of Vineyard Values. I'm going to break it down just a little bit. You know, Living Letters is a reference to this letter that Paul, an early church planter, wrote, a letter called 2 Corinthians. This is chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. It dares to ask us this question, what if we were known not by recommendation letters or a resume, but our very lives, our very hearts, when we join together, we can see God together. When we're together, we see what we value and what God values. And we're doing that this fall as we dive into these five core values of the vineyard, our movement of churches, and look at the biblical roots underneath them. Today's, you may have guessed, is about experiencing and worshiping God. We're also going to talk about four more, partnering with the Holy Spirit, reconciling people with God and all creation, engaging in compassionate ministry, and pursuing culturally relevant mission in the world. The vineyard kind of says this as a statement. We are people of the kingdom who, and these are the five things we do as we pursue God together, as we experience God, these are the five things that we see. And the cool thing as our teaching team looked at that, we said, that's great. I think that's about our movement of churches. I also think it's about the church. Like, this is in the Bible. Like, this is just what people of the Bible do, specifically when we see the church being formed through Jesus and his disciples, through the early church and the Spirit falling. These five things, worship God, partner with the Holy Spirit, reconcile people with God and all creation, engage in compassionate ministry, pursue culturally relevant mission in the world. This is what it means to be the church. Our little movement of churches, our neck of the woods, just says, hey, these are our core values. But when we look at the biblical roots, this is what God's calling the church to do. We want to do that here at ECV. These five core values were built out of a living room experience of just opening up the scriptures, reading about Jesus, then singing to him, not about him. From there, a California Quaker Bible study impacted the whole world as more and more people realized God was inviting them to worship. Whether they were hippies, whether they were fundamentalists who majored on the rules until they saw those hippies experience God and said, I'm seeing something look different than what I was told. 
whether they were impossibly young for the leadership thrust upon them, and as our movement went beyond the states, whether they were non-English speakers throughout the world learning that God spoke many languages, specifically the language of their heart, as they were opened up to intimate worship and had their ministry be contextual to their culture. We can look around this room and see that God is even here with the multi-ethnic, multi-generational crowd that would have been a rare reality just 60 years ago. There's still an invitation for us to worship. Instead of just performative religion, God is inviting us to intimacy. You're invited to experience and worship God. As we go deeper today, let's pray that we would experience that together. Holy Spirit, right now would you fall on us all across this room? Would you be present? Present bringing your spirit, bringing your power, giving us an experience of you, allowing us to worship, to truly surrender and bow down to you. Holy Spirit, help us. If that's been hard today or hard this week or hard for a while, help us. We only can do this through you. So give us what we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The good news about this generous invitation God has for us is we can see it all over the epistles, the letters that we see uh, after the Gospels and Acts in the New Testament. Themes about how good news we have. We have this good news that often gets spread around the church from letter to letter, community to community, even if it was thousands of years ago. We'll settle in with a few verses from an ancient sermon known as Letters to the Hebrews, which is the Jewish people group. The author's been framing Jewish rituals and contextualizing them to life with Jesus to help his audience know who Jesus is and how we can come to Jesus and how Jesus already comes to us. And at this point, the author has been talking about priests, the ones that facilitate religion, the way that we are connected to God and to one another. And the author says, Jesus is the greatest priest. And here's what he does for us. We can find this in Hebrews chapter 4, verses uh, 14 through 16, if you want to follow along. It's also going to be on the screen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. A great high priest, Jesus, because of him, Let's hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a great high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. I repeat that one more time just because I don't think we often think of Jesus that way. Tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. Because of that revelation, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This high priest Jesus ascended to heaven and when in that high place, when he's in heaven with God the Father, 
he still looks down at us and he sees our weakness. And instead of being scorned or mad or against us, he says, oh yeah, I remember that one. That's tough, isn't it? To be human, to be faced with that situation, to be broken in that way. Yeah, I remember that. And because we know that's the one who looks at our weakness and has compassion on us, because we know that's the one who invites us, we can come to this throne. Because we know it's not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace, a throne of invitational relationship, a throne where we can actually see the person of Jesus who looks straight at us with great love and compassion. Still conviction that we are not him, but not condemnation. So much of our lives can feel like a performance, a performance to get something, to get the ultimate thing. We practice job interview questions to get the job. We dress this way or that way to get that romantic interest from our crush. We try to parent like this way, to be like our parents sometimes, or not like our parents or our peers in this way. We're always performing so much of the time, but here in these simple verses we learn something. Jesus is not interested in our religious performance. God doesn't want your best act for an hour or two on a Sunday, followed by whatever you think is okay outside of church. But also, God doesn't want your 24-7 performance, whatever you think would be okay outside of church, to be right with God. God just wants you. And with God, there's no performance necessary. He just wants you to come, to take this invitation and approach the throne of grace Grace being the way God is generous with us. The way that we can relate to God freely. Sometimes we say at ECB that God moves towards us without us even lifting a finger. And someone here at church once said, God is like the judge on the, uh, the judge is on the voice, except that he slams the buzzer before you even sing. The chair already turns around. You're in. Maybe it's like God putting you on his team before there's even tryouts. That's all true, and I love that, like deeply. Like I remember those things about things people have said to try to get us to understand God's generosity, God's grace. But I love a deeper scandal even more, that God moves towards us when our finger is lifted up, perhaps a particular finger, (laughs) enraged to someone, perhaps even God. God presses the buzzer when we try to sing and we squawk instead. God puts us on the team even when in our tryout, The coaches laughed at us because of how bad we were. That's our God. It's not just that we have a scripture that says God accepts you before you can show your weakness. Like, that's the best we can get, right? Like, we could show weakness, but then God's like, hey, before you do, let's just develop a relationship real quick. No, it's actually as we show weakness, when we show weakness. My scripture says we have a high priest then, who is able to empathize with our weaknesses, with your bad notes, with your missed swings, in work, in relationships, even as we try to get close to God. We have a high priest in Jesus who has been tempted, actually, by those same weaknesses we have. Yet he shows us that we don't have to overcome them ourselves. We're invited forward not through our religious performance, but through his unique perfection. And this posture allows us to experience and worship God freely with goodness, with generosity, with compassion, with love, instead of just a constant fear of judgment. 
that either would make us scared or disinterested or even rebellious. Just think for a second of how embarrassed Carol Wimber and her husband John from that early story might have been to tell the group that they were leading for years, hey, guys, I'm sorry, God's like kind to us, and we haven't been telling you that. <laughs> like we can sing to God, not just about God. It turns out that singing those heart songs and not trying to be religious actually gives us a relationship. Admitting that is weakness, and yet that posture of boldly approaching the throne of grace changed everything for them and the people they were leading. Usually when we're weak, we perform. What if when we were weak, we worshiped instead? To do that, we have to do three things. That's what we'll talk about for the rest of our time before some invitations. We have to take our weakness and let that qualify us for worship instead of disqualifying us. We usually have weakness kind of remove us from God. We actually have this great invitation from the scripture where we can take our weakness and bring that before God. And it actually qualifies us to worship a healer because it turns out we're a little sick and we need a doctor. This can actually be our invitation. Second thing is, with our weakness now qualifying us, we have to receive an invitation from the Lord and say yes to God. Like it'd be one thing if we were just like, okay, I know I'm weak, okay, and then we just run around as weak people, right? No. We need to still receive an invitation from God, the God of the universe that would choose to be present, that would choose to be here with us. We have to say yes somehow. And we'll talk about that. And then lastly, we can approach God's throne. And we do that by his spirit, not by our effort. Because sometimes we can get to a place where we know, oh, I'm weak, I've said yes, but now what do I do? How do I develop a relationship with God where I can actually go to the throne? Sometimes the Bible has great language, but we're like, so where's the throne? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know where it is. Like, is it in this building? Is it in my house? Like, tell me, please. I actually don't know. So we'll talk just a little bit about that. First, we have to take our weakness and let that qualify us for worship instead of disqualify us. It can even be our invitation. In the story of the early vineyard that I told you, they called themselves burnt out to a crisp. They were people who had uh, worshipped and worshipped, tried and tried. They were trying to do what they thought was the right thing. But they realized they didn't have that intimacy, they didn't have that connection. And they stopped, which I think is a really powerful and humble thing to do. They actually said, let's not do what's not working. Have you ever done that in your life? Something's not working, you have the courage to say, can we stop doing what's not working? And that started in Carol Wimber and John Wimber, her husband, just in their own personal life with the Lord. They said, let's stop, let's pause, and let's see if we can go deeper. And God met them. And then there was an invitation for their whole group to do that. They took the weakness of, especially for them as leaders, not knowing what they were doing, and they brought it to God, and God brought them deeper. It's interesting, that story, and then another story that's a vineyard story, which actually is Elm City vineyard story. When you have people like Matt, uh, Todd, some of the other, Michelle, some of the other leaders at the very beginning of our church's time, when they talk about themselves, they weren't not saying, hey, we were religious heroes that wanted to plant a church in New Haven, like right next to all these campuses. No, that's not the story you hear. 
They wanted to worship God truly and intimately from a place of being tired, of wondering how to worship God, of what God might want to say to them. Does God speak like that in our lives right now? That's how this church was born, by people becoming curious, either for the first time or again, is God good to me, good to us, good to others? And will God give me perseverance and energy to actually move into life, a true life with him? That's our origin story. That's the Vineyard's origin story. And as I look at us now, I see people gathered here. I've heard some of your stories, and it's funny. It's not 2007 anymore, the year the church started, but God keeps bringing those people to us, people that maybe have been a little bit tired, a little bit in need of God's love and God's refreshment. Patrick in a staff meeting said something really interesting this week, which is we have two groups of people at ECV right now, a group of people who was part of our church, and then a global pandemic happened. And they said, you know what one of my connections will be that I keep? A connection to the local church. And we have another group of people that said, hey, it's a global pandemic. You know one of the connections I need? A local church. And those people were, were all here together. We're here together worshiping. People who came you know, in 2019 and before, then all of a sudden had this crazy global event happen. They said, so much is going to fall apart, but one of the things I'm going to keep is my relationship with the local church. And then people who said, I either moved here, I got interested in God in this time, I don't have a connection with the local church, I want to get connected to, to ECV. That's a powerful realization, because these are challenging times. And I wonder for us, however we would describe ourselves spiritually, even if the term burnt out, you're like, don't call me that. I'm not a, like, New Haven pizza, I'm not burnt. Stop that, Josh. I don't like that. But I wonder for us, if we're honest, if we'd admit that during this pandemic, we have been tried more than ever before. We've had times of true darkness. We've had uh, come to our wits end a number of times. Maybe we all need a little bit of what John and Carol Wimber were receiving in the early days. Maybe we need a little bit of what early ECV was receiving at those early days not a performance of having a life together that looks great, even though there's still a global pandemic going on, but a life that's just saying, this is tough, and I need Jesus to be real to me. What if that weakness would qualify us and we could receive an invitation? But when we get that invitation, we still need to say yes. We still need to have this moment in our hearts where we say yes to God. In 2019, there was a national conference that the Vineyard had, uh, and a group of our uh, church, about mm, maybe 10, 12 of us, went to Dayton, Ohio for that conference. And uh, that was really powerful. <laughs> you probably don't want to ask some of us how it was because we'll just be, go on and on and start, like, you know, gabbing. But it was good. There was a particular moment uh, when this man named Jay Pathak, who's going to be the incoming national director of the Vineyard, um, when he was speaking, and he was talking about what it means for us to abide in God and to stay abiding. And he asked us a question. And it's one of those questions where someone asks you, you're like, ooh, that's too close. And I think about my daughter Zoe. She's like, too, too close, too close, too much. You know, it's like, you're just like, that was not, I, I, don't, I don't want that. But it was an incisive question that I needed to be, that needed to be asked, which is, is there something that you did when you first got spiritually curious in who God was, something that you participated in, a practice of yours, when your faith was you know, you could use language like warm, vibrant, 
alive, when you had joy? Is there something you were doing then that you're not doing now? And he was great because he didn't do any guilt or shame. It's like, hey, there might be reasons why you're not doing that. Like, you had 18 kids. You, like, went across, you know, a journey across the country. You know, you're in Dayton. You know, well, there's a lot of things, right? Like, there's many reasons why you might not be doing that. But I just want to challenge you. What was happening in that season? And is God daring you to go back to some of those practices to develop what Scripture calls our first love and to rekindle some things that God is doing? When I heard that, you know sometimes when you hear something that you don't want to accept, you're like, no, it's like steel wall, no, shut it off, shut up, Jay. And then at the same time, the Holy Spirit was like, don't tell people to shut up, and here's the memory of that. I was like, no! And what came back to me was times of worship, musical worship, specifically just singing so loud all the time. It was a season in my life where uh, a number of us who were here at ECV were worshiping on the campus. We would maybe start around 11. We would do kind of like an hour of worship. Then we got kicked out, so we all had to leave the building. And then we knew like a way to get in. Sorry if you're a Yale student, it doesn't work anymore. But you just like grab a handle and you pull it once. And then you're like, everyone thinks this isn't going to work. And then you're like, and you pull it a second time and you get in. And it was amazing. And the security guards go home, right? They can't stay there all night just going around. And so we would worship for hours more. Students that cared about the grades, worshiping Jesus. Huh? But that's just where we were in our lives and in our faith. And it was phenomenal. And it was people who knew Jesus, people who didn't but were coming to know God, people who were sometimes studying there. They're like, I'm still studying. You guys can do this, but I'm still studying. And we kind of watched them like kind of drop their books a little bit, start praying a little bit more for their academics, you know. It, it kind of evolved. It was a precious season. But something happened towards the tail end of it. People lost their faith. People were uh, challenged by fear, by insecurity. We had people in our fellowship where they lost folks they loved, dear family. And we didn't have the maturity of their language for, this isn't the goodness of God, this is the enemy batting away at the things God is up to. But one by one, we stopped singing. We maybe left. We kind of got decentered. And while I still you know, kept going to church, kept being involved, there was a warmth and a level of fun and just ease that got a lot harder. And as Jay said that, as I had that shut up moment and then I had these memories flash, I realized in my heart, I'd kind of closed off to a certain experience because it was costly the last time I did it. I gave God some of my song, but not what I had been doing. And again, Jay was so generous. He said, you don't have to do the same thing, but just start. Try. If it was hours, maybe it's a minute. It was a minute, maybe seconds, but get back to that place of having an invitation from God. And I did, and it was powerful, and it's been good. But I realized there I needed to say yes, and I did that night. Where might you need to say yes to an invitation that you've actually already said yes to? You already received maybe, or maybe this would be your first time. Where is God challenging you to do that? 
The last thing I want to say might feel strange to us because it's that famous part of the scripture, like approach the throne of grace. But I just want to break down a little bit that that can feel hard to us. It can feel tough. We don't know exactly what that looks like. If our lives are going to be a living letter, there has to be life in how we approach God through the Spirit. I think God actually has a way for us to approach God that is ours. It's unique, and we develop it as a way of being intimate with God, being close with God. And just doing something that someone else does might not get us that. I think 2 Corinthians, a little bit later, says as much. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, we read before. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. I think for some of us, we want to approach God more like a science than an art, more with certain things that if we do this, we'll get that. But I think we are made too unique for that. We need to actually experiment to taste and see. The language of Scripture, taste and see. It can feel weird, but there's a way of approaching God that God's inviting us towards. Perhaps it is this church service. I hope so. I hope to God it is. But what if it's also walking out in nature, even in the rain? What if it's having a conversation with a friend? What if it's singing by yourself? What if it's journaling out confession, the sins that you've committed, and knowing that each one that you write, God already knew and already has forgiven you for, and you're already back in a relationship with him? What might it be for you, this way of approaching God? I put that there because sometimes I can give a message like this, someone can give a message like this, and they say, that sounds so great to approach God boldly, but it doesn't work for me. I want to challenge you. Perhaps you haven't found that way. Maybe you're relying on something that looks like the letter and not the spirit. Ask God, I dare you. God, what is the way for me to approach you, approach your throne of grace boldly this week? Is it writing? Is it with someone else? Is it by yourself? Is it this church service? I so believe God wants that for you. And I would hate just because someone thinks here, oh, it has to look like this. They wouldn't get everything that the Lord would have for them. We have an invitation from Jesus to worship. That invitation comes to us in our weakness, maybe especially so. And instead of being disqualified, we are qualified in Christ because he empathizes with our weakness. He was even tempted the same way as us. And now we approach God's throne, and we do that by his spirit, not by our effort. One of uh, my favorite stories in uh, my time in New Haven was finishing up my Yale Divinity School degree, not just because I was done with YDS, yes! If you've been to YDS, you definitely will resonate. Um, but it was a fun time of things kind of coming together in my life. We had a colloquium we had to do at the end, this kind of presentation, and I decided to do it on uh, the vineyard. And I worked with someone that didn't know what the vineyard was, was probably frustrated me every step of the way, and like relented to like, okay, I guess I'll do like some like renaissance thing over here that connects with what you're doing. I said, thank you, because I really wanted to do something on the vineyard. It was great. And what we were looking at is when there's times where God is moving in society, times where God is moving in communities, do people learn how to sing? And not just sing, but to sing in ways that kind of are catchy a little bit. They're, they're simple. You can sing along. And these are world-class musicians that study complex music. 
So I was sort of like uh, a little fish in a shark tank, right? They were like, what are you saying? Do you know how expensive my harp is? Do you know how many years I've trained? And I said, I'm sorry, but I just wanted to do like an interesting colloquium, right? They said, okay. So part of that involved Tina coming. Uh, Tina is the worship pastor here at ECV and my wife. And she came and she sang a song. She came up to the piano, you know, put the fingers on the keys and started singing. And it was a song called Jesus Holy and Anointed One. Simple song. There's uh, some lines of the songs that go something like, like, like this. Jesus, Jesus, holy and anointed one, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, risen and exalted one, Jesus, your name is like honey on my lips, your spirit's like water to my soul, your word is a lamp unto my feet. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Tina sounded way better. And there was a beauty in what Tina sang and a simplicity in what Tina sang. And if people were offended by the premise before, after Tina singing, they weren't anymore. Because something happened in the room. You could hear a pin drop. Because people were invited. And they had an opportunity to respond. Here are some of your invitations to respond this week. One will obviously be worship. But three simple things. The first is to admit weakness. It's one of the hardest things to do for us uh, as humans, as followers of Jesus, which is so silly, but it's still so hard, of just saying we're weak and making that an invitation instead of a disqualification. If you guys are like, come on, Josh, you've said that's really easy to do. I get it. It is hard. The enemy's literally called the accuser. That's what he does. He accuses us. So our weakness is condemnation to us as opposed to invitation. Make that your strength. Make that your way to God. Take your weakness, whatever it is, and bring it to God. I dare you. And God will invite you further in. This week, look for invitations to worship. Wait for that moment where you might say yes in your heart and say, I'm going to worship you, God. Remember, it doesn't have to be music. It doesn't need to be singing. But it's a way that you're saying in your heart, God, I love you with all that I have, with all that I am. And where I don't, I want to love you more. And lastly, ask God for an approach or celebrate a way an approach is working for you in this season to go to that throne of grace. All these three things can be ways that God meets you and invites you deeper this week. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. One of our invitations to go deeper is to take communion. 
And I want to say that communion is for folks that have decided to follow Jesus. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, be invited. Take that invitation. If you're here as someone that has not uh, decided to follow Jesus with all of who you are, I'd love to talk with you. I'm sure some of the staff would love to talk to you. You can get prayer later. But there's an invitation here to say yes. This is the biggest yes we can give Jesus. It's our whole life. And all that means, because that sounds big, all it means is we're saying yes to something deeply unknown. (laughs) Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you, even though I don't know what that means. But what I'm trusting is that you will tell me and you will guide me. In some ways, that first step of saying yes, it's not the easiest, but it might be the clearest. Because you say, I don't know what this is, but I know you more now. And I need to know you as my leader, as my savior, as my rescuer. If that's something that you want to do, again, I encourage you to say yes. And to say yes to someone in this room. Again, that could be me, that could be one of the staff. And to take communion. In communion, we, uh, and they're under your seats. You can uh, just look under your seat and get the little communion cup. In communion, we're saying yes again. Also, if you don't have one, uh, Todd, uh, one of our pastors here, will give one to you. We're saying yes uh, to the sacrifice of Jesus, to the body broken for us, the blood shed for us. This is the weakness that Jesus says can be an invitation, the weakness of even not just getting hurt but being killed. We're invited through that wound, We're invited through those elements, the blood and the body. So you can take the bread right now. And if you're comfortable, just slip it under your mask. This is the body of Christ broken for you. And then take the cup. It's the blood of Jesus for you. And drink it up, drink it in. These elements are part of our worship. God, we thank you and we invite you, God. Even though you've invited us, we invite you further in, God, and say yes to you. Come Holy Spirit with your power. Come Holy Spirit with your presence. As we worship, would there be moments, many moments in this time, however short it is, where we're invited by you. Let us realize that and say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.